0: This is season one, episode five of Interesting Conversations. I'm your host Craig Burgess and I am incredibly lucky to be talking to somebody who I'm also lucky to have known for quite a while. His name is Tim Cleesby and the main thing that we're talking about today is just one band, Arctic Monkeys. This guy, Tim Cleesby, was the tour manager Or the tour manager, or however you want to say it in a Yorkshire accent or not He was the tour manager for Arctic Monkeys for five years Throughout their biggest time, their most famous time From releasing their first album to right before they released their first album Right through album one, two and three And we talk all about this for quite a long time And I think you're really going to love this episode we really geek out on rock music, on music in general, things that are good and bad about the music industry, and yeah, you're just really going to love this episode. I enjoyed it so much, and thank you so much, Tim, for being so open and honest and just putting up with my endless questions. So this is Season 1, Episode 5 of Interesting Conversations with Tim Cleesby, starting right now. I'm going to start it off. They're really direct, these mics, okay. by the way. Sorry. So. If, as soon as you kind of float off Yeah Just Just, uh, just at where's sight the,
1: Where's the best bit? Lou, loo, Lou, 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 It's there Can I turn it round? Yeah How do you turn it round? Can you turn it in the
0: holder? Yeah, you'll have to squeeze those two things It's the right bastard trying oh, to there Oh, there you go Hello, that's better You're a professional at that I've done it before <laughs> Many times before <laughs> Once or twice Yeah so I've set it off, and I always do that at the beginning, just to try and see if levels are all right and it's all working. Good. And normally when I do these, when I do interesting conversations, I don't ask the boring question, okay. your, your story, tell us about your story, but you uh, are so interesting. You might not think you're interesting. You're shaking your head already. No, definitely <laughs> but not. But your story is so interesting because, well, we're going to tell it then, but I'll let you tell it in your own words because you've probably told it a million times. So tell us the basic story you know the the key points
1: um so uh key points of my story what like from the from when
0: uh art monkeys that's what everybody's going to so want to from
1: from that point okay um so where did you meet him i met in them in their rehearsal room their manager asked me to go meet him I knew their manager from before. Their manager was uh, a guy who I had toured with in the past as his tour manager. He was in a band called Seafruit. Nice name. Yeah, yeah. They have that. Uh, had a number sixteen hit in England. Yeah, we'll <laughs> come back to that. Um. But uh, yeah, so I'd, uh, Jeff, their manager, I'd I'd known him for a long time, and I'd just finished working for The Darkness as their monitor engineer, and I'd I'd kind of decided I was going to stop touring because it was doing me in, being away from home all the time, and um, missing the, the kids and, and Sam and so. We'd sort of said, you know, we'll we'll look at something else So I'd just put the word out in Sheffield that I was looking for A local band to do some stuff for And uh, the first one that got in touch was Jeff And it was for Arctic Monkeys And obviously I'd never heard of him at that point
0: So you walked in, you walked into rehearsal room
1: No, before that, Jeff came to butter me up so he came round to have a chat with me, on the phone, on the phone he said, oh, I've got this band team, brilliant, you know, four lads, really great lads, brilliant songs that go in, going places. Obviously, you've heard this story a lot, you know, when you work in the music, you hear it a lot, oh, next big thing, you know, they're going to be huge, and then you work for them and you think, yeah, these are shit, <laughs> they're not going anywhere. So... Um, so yeah, he did the butter up on the phone He says, look, let me come round and bring you some tunes And I'll have a chat with you and Sam And uh, and we'll take it from there So I said, yeah, alright So he came round and had a chat And, you know, did some more sell on the band About how great they were And he brought a CD round And it had five songs Five of their songs on it And it had, like, um, Dance floor And And um, when the sun goes down and Mardi Bum and certain romance, and I think probably bigger boys in the and stolen sweethearts, um, and he he didn't play; he just left it with us.
0: And uh, me and Sam just, thought, oh shit! <laughs> so he was so confident of acting monkeys at that point that yeah. he just dropped disc off yeah. and went.
1: Well, and he knew that from from me, like. Because I know Jeff and I've known him Then I was I was sort of up for doing it anyway Because it was his band and, But yeah, we listened to that CD and it just I'd, I, You know, I'd really planned to not go on tour again And then we listened to that and both Sam and I just went. we've got to do this Because they're just going to be massive
0: So what year would have that have been? That was 2005, January So 2005, let me think So around then when you were listening to that I probably heard some other stuff as well and uh, around that time maybe a year or two later or something I was working as a waiter because I would have been I don't know 18 maybe at that time no i have been older than that but I, I would have listened to that and everybody when I was working as a wait- waiter were talking about Arctic Monkeys Yeah, and, and at that point they'd not even got an album out so that must
1: have been 2005 Yeah, because their album came out in 2005 September, I think it was. They went to number one in September with dance Um, And their album would have come out that, I think it was September it came out. Fastest selling debut album
0: ever. Yeah. At yeah, that the, point. The be- the Beatles at that point. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah it was huge. Um, so, yeah, probably around that time, you know, they were sharing the demos. Um, basically... They They used to They used to give CDs out at gigs Like the early gigs that I did with them They'd I don't know if they stopped doing it or whether they were still I think they'd just stopped doing it The first gig I did for them They were supporting Tom Vec At the Fez Club If you remember the Fez Club in Sheffield Which was quite good Um, But yeah they, they used to hand CDs out And then one of their mates, your mate, James Sheriff, <laughs> put the the songs on his website, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. And that's how. So you might have heard it before me. I don't know. Were you, where, when were you, were you mates with James back then? Don't
0: you? Well, let me think. Let me put timelines in the right place. Um, so I were at college um, when I was 18. I'm nearly 30 now, so. 10 years ago. So I'll have been at college around 2005-2006. Mm. And that's when James were doing the same course as me and they were working for Monkeys at that point. Right. Yeah. And I remember seeing him work on one of the first websites yeah. which I know had had the music on it at that point. Mm. Um so I will have listened to it there. Mm. So actually I'll have heard them a few years before that mm. because I heard them when I was a waiter, which will have been 2 years before that. Right. So, well, they—I think they started
1: 2003. I think there was their first gigs at the Grapes, and then 2004 they did quite a few gigs. And Jeff picked them up in 2004 and started working with them, and you know, doing proper demos with them with Alan. That's how—that's actually how they got discovered. Was Alan Smythe at Two Fly, and Alan was in Seafruit with Jeff. So it, Alan got this band in and just went, These are great and phoned Jeff. And then Jeff took him up as
0: manager. And then that's how I got introduced to him. So you listened to that first album, well, first demo. First demo. You thought yeah. you thought they were amazing. Yeah. What did you do after that?
1: Um well, you see the the crux of this conversation with Jeff was um it said I mean I'd just finished working for Darkness As their monitor engineer We were doing an arena tour I was on very very good money Finishing with them And Jeff said I can't pay you very much <laughs> So I said alright well, How much can you pay And he said I'll pay you as much as I can So I said alright And Sam went mental She so just went Are you fucking kidding We've got a newborn baby Hang on, two thousand and four. So now we we got a one year old. Ellie was one, and Sam was just like, "We need nappies, and that's not going to pay for fucking nappies <laughs> and mortgages and shit." So um, it was it was kind of tricky that situation, and um, so I'd gone from from the darkness earning a good amount of money every day that I worked for him.
0: To a shitty Sheffield
1: band a a shitty Sheffield band Earning 30 quid a gig Working for them Um, Which, yeah, suffice to say Didn't really, didn't really pay for much But I'd got, I'd got massive belief in them I knew, I knew that uh, That something good was going to come You know, you just When you listen to them songs and demos You can't fail to to grasp how good they are And how good a songwriter Alex is You know, he's a brilliant songwriter And those early songs Captured a, a moment in time Of like Sheffield And going out in Sheffield it, Most of them were based around You know, one or two weekends when they were out And a lot of the stories throughout those, those songs Are based on, you know, a couple of weekends So it really did and it, it Captured people's imagination Because they can put themselves in his shoes Right away, you know, you, you listen to lyrics of Dance Floor and Mardi Bum. You know, we've all had a girlfriend who's was Mardi Bum. And, you know, the bigger boys and stolen sweethearts where he's, some guy's pinch your bird and he's going to beat your head in. You know, you can put yourself in that situation completely. So, as soon as I heard the songs, you you can relate to them so quickly. So it was like, well, you know, it's 30 quid now, but it's going to be more. I know it is. And I, I knew working with Jeff before, it made it easier. Because um, because we'd had that relationship, so I knew you know Jeff was honourable and was
0: going to do what he said. Basically, so, so yeah. So how how long did it how long did it take before it turned into something else? Before thirty quid turned into something a bit more? Um.
1: Well, the so I started with him in January and we did a handful of gigs January, February, March, and then April they did their first headline tour. And it was it was small venues, but you know the wages went up quite quickly. And I went from doing when I first started with them, the first I don't know ten or so gigs was just me and them, mostly in my car, Hmm. sometimes in mine and Jess's car, and sometimes in a shitty van, just belting up and down the motorways, you know, doing gigs to, and like the first. The first gig, Tom Vec, they were supporting and they had more people to see them than Tom Veck had. Mm. So that was kind of like, That's weird. They've got a lot of mates. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sheffield. Um, and then then they did the Harley and it was rammed and everyone knew words. And I was like, fucking hell, I've got loads of mates. <laughs> and then we were, I think we were going to Glasgow, was the next gig. And before that gig... I was sort of thinking this is going to be a bit of an eye-opener, you know We're going to go to Glasgow and there'll be fucking three blokes and a dog And it'll be shit and we'll come (laughs) home And uh, we got there and there was a queue round the block And it was absolutely chock-a-block round You know, they were turning people away And everyone in the venue knew every word And was screaming it right back at the band And I was sort of like going, fucking hell, (laughs) this is just ridiculous And then every gig was like that subsequently so it's really early on you can see that it's going to go crazy And it did yeah. And the, the wages went up fairly quickly But uh, yeah, so the early gigs was, was, was just me doing everything So I did sound, tour managing, backline Lights when I could reach the, the lighting desk solid merch, driving the van I was security at a lot of gigs um, I had to be because the, the there were no barriers Um... And the crowds were, were very, very lively. One of the earliest gigs that I have a very vivid memory of was the
0: Escobar in Wakefield. I was going to mention that one next, actually. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, that was a chaotic gig. I think it's like 110 capacity. It's like this front room, basically. This front room and then put a stage just there yeah. and you've got the Escobar. And um, it's very low ceiling. It's probably probably lower than this. This is about nine foot, by the way, <laughs> for those listeners that can't see um, and at that gig, the microphone—I was on stage mixing because the mixing desk was on the stage, was a stupid place to put it, but it was there. Um, and the crowd was so lively, and there was no barrier, and Alex's microphone was right at the front of the crowd, and it was his mic was getting knocked and smashing into his teeth. So, like every couple of seconds, he was backing off and couldn't sing. So. I had to go down the front and basically just stand in front of his microphone to stop him getting his teeth knocked out. And that that was a fairly regular occurrence where I had to sort of be part of security as well as, you know, it was all part of like the job of tour managing and and looking after a band that are so young. Um, But that gig particularly um, was interesting because um, we had a lot of record companies interested in the band around that time and they were all coming to visit them you know, it, and it wasn't like the A&R guys. It was the heads of the record companies. It was the big executives. It was like, you know, the bloke that owned Warner Brothers and the bloke that owned, you know, you name a record company, they all came to see them. The suits. The real suits. The, the real suits, the proper ones, yeah. And um, that gig, there were footprints on the ceiling when we finished, which was pretty amazing for a, for a gig, because they weren't there when we started. And... Um, and I remember one middle-aged executive... I said middle-aged, i am probably being kind. <laughs> he was probably getting towards his 60s. And he came out of the crowd, and I knew him. And he'd got no shirt on. Like, I can't remember if he had his tie around his head, but he probably should have done. And he was covered in sweat like a teenager. And he just went, that's the best fucking gig I've ever been to in my life. And you'd got all these middle-aged men coming and just getting super excited about this these bunch of teenagers so it was all very telling of of what was going to happen you know and the the money started being offered to them and it was silly amounts of money but fortunately they're they're quite sensible in that so
0: so so what did they do then so they, they got to they got to that point they did escobar gig and in the, their timeline, when did they release the first album?
1: So that well that, that was all like between February and probably end of April, all that, you know, where the, the chaos was really starting. And they hadn't, I can't remember when. I think their first EP came out in May. I think we toured in April and then their EP came out. Might be wrong with that. Might be all the way around But um, it was certainly around the same time And then they were recording the album Over the summer um, they'd, they'd done a load of demos With Alan You know, everything was demoed and ready And they were playing them live And and then they were They picked a producer to work with Mike Oh, I forget his name Lovely guy And then they went to the Chapel Studios In Lincoln and um and recorded, and that was that was over the summer, and then august September we toured again, I think they did, oh we did reading and Leeds It's another interesting little story we'll come back to um and then September we were touring, and um floor came out in September and went to number one, and then the album came out after that, not much after I don't think.
0: Mm. Did, did they realise how good they were? Um, no, no.
1: well, I mean, you know, they knew they were a good band
0: Because it, it must have been weird, because at that point in time, how old would they have been? 17, 18? Uh, 18, 19 So 18, 19, if I I think, if I think back to when I were 18 and 19 Probably 19, I think You, you think you, you think you shit at everything or you, you're just doing things, you're just playing at things and these guys are 18 and they've got everybody in the world interested in them. And it, it must have been a really weird situation for him at that point because they're first of all learning about fame because they're so young and also they've got everybody telling them that they're really good and they still manage to not really let that go to their heads do things that they wanted to and release their first album and release... An amazing first album. And in fact, some people would probably say that's still the best album that they've ever done.
1: Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. It's uh, it's a brilliant album. Um, I mean, you know, they they had their heads screwed on. They were really like quite sensible about what they wanted. They didn't want to court all the the fame. They didn't want all. So a lot of a lot of my job, which was a bit weird, because generally as a tour manager. Your job is to make sure that, you know All the press interviews happen when they're supposed to happen And all the photo shoots happen when they're supposed to happen And all that shit And they were, they were so anti-press That I was turning down interviews regularly And big interviews You know, like the sun would want to interview them And I'd have to go, er, uh, no <laughs> And you know, when it's that when it I mean, the sun had to say no to pretty much every fucking day anyway But, um but you know, b- big big publications where you'd sort of think, God, you, you know, any other band would be wanting this publicity;
0: they'd be wanting it. And you and they didn't want it. And you should—you were saying to them, "You should really be taking this." But no, I it.
1: wasn't at all. No, like we were between myself and Jeff and Ian, who Ian is the co-manager with Jeff. Um, we we'd sort of come up with a a strategy of like press management based on what the band wanted and so you know I because I was on the road with them quite regularly publications would contact the venue to try and get interviews with the band rather than you know they'd try and do it through the back door kind of thing which is you know it's done and bands tend to accept it because they want the publicity but you know with them they didn't want it so part of the job was to make sure that they were protected when they wanted to be protected and looked after and so I mean, you know, the team that we had round them helped in in keeping them grounded to an extent, because they, like, they were all basically they were all Yorkshire lads who we'd we'd built up to work round him, and you know we'd we'd kind of tell them if they were getting, you know, doing up that were. bit stupid or a bit arsey, or being a bit dickhead you know not not in a bad way a bit like you do with your mates you go, what are you fucking doing that for you know and they'd do it with us as well you know if we started doing the same thing because you know as, as as a band gets bigger the crew can often get egos as big as the bands if not bigger so you know between us we kind of had this really close little bubble where there was chaos happening outside and to us We knew it was going on But in our little bubble We were just out Getting on with it And having a laugh So
0: It was It was interesting To go go through that So what What did they think When their album came out The first album It it came out And it went straight To number one Mm. What did they think About that They excited
1: (laughs) As you would be (laughs) uh, You don't like, we did, they didn't go, oh, yeah, we're fucking great, look at that, Whoa, brilliant, we've fucking done this, we've done that. They just, they, we celebrated, we had a big party, you know, we got pissed. And we were on tour, so then we had to go back out and do another gig. You know, it did not stop. And they had, they had quite a good work ethic of, like, you know, Jamie was, a, was still a tyler full-time, pretty much, up until... think it was June or July of 2005. That's crazy. Yeah, he was just like, I'm not giving home because, you know, you've got all the fucking tits up, pal. (laughs) You know, and you're like, well, that's pretty sensible, really. I mean, you're going to be fucking huge, but (laughs) you'll carry on.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, it's... uh, That that hard work thing, actually, is a thing that nobody ever considers about bands Mm. about music artists and other people as well like uh, comedians and anybody who's on the road Mm. a lot they think these people they're just famous and they just became famous overnight and now they don't have to do anything they've got all this money but actually people like bands and people like comedians they spend like 300 days out a year sometimes even more than Mm. that on the road in hotel rooms all all year round which sounds like a really fun
1: thing to do, you know. Going on holiday in an hotel all the time, getting on fly, it's brilliant. But yeah, it is it is hard work. It's um it's not it's not just a toss off, you know, and when when we were when I was working for them for those five years, I mean the first year wasn't quite as bad. It was pretty busy. But most of those years I was working for them I was away from home for about nine months out of, out of each year um, and that's it, that in itself is hard it's hard work being away you know it, even it, even as a 19 year old you've gone from having all your mates and all your family and everything around you to just having a small group of people that work for you with you 24 hours a day pretty constantly for that much time and it's, it is tough you know and it's it's not just like you know you've got a you know they had press to do pretty much every day which was all right minimal for them but they still had to do some you know we started a press schedule and you know they had we had a sound check every day and gig every day which it does sound easy it sounds you know like great brilliant you're playing a, a gig every day but that just that how, you know that hour that you're on stage you are focused 100% and as the sound engineer or tour manager or whatever you're focused on your job and it's a job at the end of the day it's all a job you know it's a great job it's a really fun job it's probably one of the best jobs in the world but it's still a job you know and it is hard work and it does take a lot of dedication
0: to, to actually be successful and it's you're doing a presentation Every night mm. you're touring. And I think that's probably the easiest way a lot of people can relate to it because a lot of people hate doing presentations. Mm. And even when you get used to doing presentations, standing up in front of 100 people, you get used to it. And it might only be an hour, but all the stress mm. of preparing and then all the stress of actually performing and then how much energy that kind of thing takes out of mm. you, even at that level even more so mm. when you're – I know that they're not – Particularly an active band Always on stage Not really But it's 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 still It's still Matt is Elders is pretty active Yeah But yeah. it's still stressful You know It takes a lot of energy out of you To perform at a high level All these people yeah. are paying you All these people are stood there They've paid They want a gig Yeah 20, 30 quid a ticket Probably even more these days They weren't that much then yeah. and, and that's a big pressure To perform Every night Yeah
1: It is It is And it's you know, it's like the crew and stuff, you know, their roles are, they're not easy jobs. You know, sound engineer sounds like a really easy job, but you're under the same amount of pressure as the band, because so if you fuck it up, everyone has a shit gig.
0: Well, thing is, you can't get it wrong. Yeah, can well,
1: you? You? you can. A lot of people do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what I mean. No, if, you you know, you've, you've got to perform, you, you know, and you might have a stinking hangover, you might be ill, you might be feeling like dog shit your dog might have died anything but you've still got to go and you know the show must go on you know and it's not like those roles it's not like you can just phone somebody up and go oh I'm not coming into there because they just go really? you're fired Um. so it's, it's not you know because they're quite it's like you know the guitarist you can't just replace a guitarist because they need to know all the songs and it's the same with the backline tech and the lighting engineer and the Sound engineer, they need to know all the songs and the nuances of the songs and how everything fits together and you know where the effects go and you know that Matt sings a certain part of certain songs and so it's it's quite you know it's not it's not an easy job. It's good fun though.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so you was with them from the first album. Yep. And then what album up to was you with them before you left? Yeah. Uh,
1: Suck It And See
0: So was that the third album? That was the third one Yeah What came after that? Uh, Humbug was it?
1: No No, I worked, I worked on them No, it was Humbug I worked on them Up to And then it was Suck It And See And then it was AM
0: Yeah Yeah So it was Humbug it was my last album Which I think AM is the second best album I would agree <laughs> Yeah so you got you got to that point. You recorded that album with him. Helped him. I didn't have much to do with the recording. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I was Yeah. You were man- managing managing him and being daddy,
1: being daddy up until <laughs> April two thousand and ten. Um, and I decided in two thousand and nine that I was quitting, and I told him in Japan, and they didn't believe me. And I said, No, I am. But I said I'll I'll see out this album basically. Well, I was I was gonna finish. I think I said I was gonna finish in December, and then I spoke to Jeff and Ian, and they said, look, we're gonna be finished in April anyway, so we just finish this year off. So I said, yeah, and then I'd set a date of like you know they said this is where we're gonna tour to, so I said right, well I'm gonna finish on the en- the end of that tour. And I started booking in photography work Based on that Um, And then they booked in an extra week (laughs) In um, Mexico I think it was And uh, I said oh I can't do that So My assistant that I had on the road at that point Was going to take over for that last week Um, But then The volcano Iceland volcano happened oh yeah, I still remember that Yeah so do I because I was stuck in LA <laughs> <laughs> oh, It
0: must have been really bad for you being stuck in LA
1: <laughs> Well you know But I was supposed to be coming home to work I'd got jobs booked in And I was talking to the clients at the time And I was saying look I might not make it back I'm really sorry I'll, I'll keep you posted Um. And yeah I didn't make it back And I went to Mexico instead and did the gigs there so and then came like went back home, and that was it that was the end of it.
0: That's just so amazing to me that you you're with at the time probably one of the biggest bands in the world, still one of the biggest bands in the world now, and you're there plotting photography, coming on to kind of a a normal muggle wife yeah, and <laughs> you, you're wanting to get away from all this fame and glitz and glamour, and you managed to stay humble throughout all of that. And you just wanted to get out of it and just go back to normal.
1: Yeah, I I didn't really want to give up the job because I I absolutely love working in music. I still do. I still do work in music in various roles, and I absolutely love the job. It's it's one of the greatest jobs in the world. You know, you we've just talked about how much hard work it is and how stressful it is, but actually, as well as that. It's one of the most satisfying When you're You know as an example When you're stood on the stage And you're watching 50,000 people Jumping up and down to something That you're a big part of organising That's a, a proper hairs on the back of your neck Standing up Proud moment feeling And you can't You know I can't really Explain what it's like But it is amazing you know And when, when I'm doing sound For bands And you're creating something That sounds incredible Or just good If you're in Some of the pubs That I do sound in um, You know It's there's You get a really good feeling about it It's really hard to explain If you, th- do it, if you don't do
0: it I think it's I, I don't do anything in music But I love music mm. And I think it's kind of this Animalistic thing mm. To music yeah, It's just you just love some music. That's what makes music so amazing. And it's particularly why I love rock music more than anything else. I mean, I, I love all different kinds of music. I love uh, dance music, everything, mm. rap music, the whole lot. But rock music is kind of the only music that kind of gets me to feel um, just different and, you know, just really get into it. Because mm. there's just something about rock music that it's just kind of really really raw and really um like you say it's really hard to describe you know what i love and i absolutely
1: fucking love it and my wife takes the piss out of me a lot for doing this but when i'm in car i have the music on so loud that it's just it's all that's there and i think that's what it is with rock music is that it's got a reputation of of volume and when you're in that volume and it's all that's there. There's nothing else. And it's
0: shaking your entire body. Yeah,
1: it like takes over, and just I don't know. I look like a lunatic most of the time. I'm driving because I have it on really loud, and I'm headbanging and singing a lot badly. I set up um, a dash cam on me my iPhone. <laughs> Bad move. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'd got Planet Rock on. And I was playing it back and I was thinking, look, I've set up a dash cam. I just went, what the fuck are you listening to? And is that you
0: singing? That's terrible. <laughs> I think in terms of in terms of rock music and that rawness to it, I think one of the best bands that have been and still are, even though there's barely any of them left, is ACDC. Hmm. For me, they're just, they've managed to distill rock music just down to its perfect core. Yep. And it's just raw rock music yeah just that bluesy swing feel to it and just loud guitars yeah.
1: and i've got big balls yeah or, all, the about it, all the other thing
0: all they ever thing about it is balls rock and parties. yeah and ne- they've never deviated from that for, yeah. for fucking forever however long they've been going 300 years <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the same it's a shame we've lost lost one of the greats and recently I've, and it's a shame that Axel Rose is now the singer on tour oh. I just can't even comprehend that to be no. perfectly honest I'm not, I'm not gonna entertain that shit yeah um, but I mean I,
1: like, I did I, I love Guns N' Roses don't get me wrong I think they're a great band and Axl Rose in Guns N' Roses in the 80s was fucking amazing
0: mm. but uh, no not ACDC no but yeah f- for me and I still listen to them and just every single tune that they've got is just ace. Yeah. And that's kind of raw, raw rock music Yeah, to me. There's something else I wanted to mention, actually, when you were going on about stadium gigs. Hmm. Um, you've experienced things like Escobar, which is a tiny gig space, which yes. is a tiny pub. You've experienced massive arenas. Hmm. Which do you think's the best?
1: I was talking to some of this, somebody about this just
0: on... Saturday. Cause I still think one thousand people is the best kind of gig.
1: Yeah. The small smaller, sweaty club gigs are definitely the the place to watch music.
0: Like Carp in Sheffield, for example.
1: Yeah, or Leadmill. Mm. Or, you know, um Glasgow Barrowlands exceptions two thousand people, but it's a sweaty, horrible, shitty old gig. Mm. But it's brilliant. You know, those, it's a shame that um, there's so many venues that have been tore, tore down because they need to progress things. You know, like the Astoria in London was an incredible venue, 2,000 capacity, proper shitty, dirty, sweaty club, big club for London, obviously, but, but it was a great place to do gigs and to watch bands and to... It had a, a history that you could smell and taste and feel and, you know, you, you when you walked in, there's a, there's a gravity to the venue. It's the same with the lead mill. You know, the lead mill's 20 billion years old or whatever it is. He's, I think it's 30 years old now. There's a bit of lead mill wall on our, uh, lead mill dance floor on our wall. Because <laughs> that's where me and Sam met, All definitely right. enough. Um, but yeah, so, but it's the same with the Leadmill, you know, it's it's got a history, it's got a, there's something about it that, you know, you walk in and the monkeys have played there and Oasis have played there and Cock has played there and, you know, there's all these, names, yeah, all these names, yeah. Everybody's played
0: there. And, and there's Leeds Cockpit as well. Great. Which is gone.
1: Yep. Great venue though.
0: All those kind of little places. Yeah. I, I, I've seen a lot of bands at places like Corp in Sheffield mm-hmm. and... A cockpit and stuff like that And I've seen same bands At uh, uh, festivals and stuff like that Or arena gigs And mm. they're just They're never They're never the same See festival gigs are weird Because I've done
1: Generally festival gigs are a bit It depends on the festival I think I think the festival has a real Sway on how good the gigs are And it depends on where In the festival you're playing So for instance 2005 Leeds Festival Arctic Monkeys Fucking incredible gig Tiny tent Rammed to the rafters Like I've got a photograph That somebody sent me from outside the tent And it was about 30 people deep Outside the tent You know they just wanted to be near That stage when that band were playing Because they were the band um, Rocket from the Crypt When I did front of house for them Leeds festival again. About 12,000 people in a tent just going absolutely ballistic to stop on a rope. <laughs> you know, it's like fucking hell. This is just that that for me was, you know, they and the, and Glastonbury, when you headline Glastonbury, there's something about that stage that's just it's a, another momentous thing. It's I think a lot of it is is relevant to the history of the venue as well. I mean some venues are just shit They are just <laughs> absolute dog shit um, We did a gig at Magna Which I don't think should ever really be a venue And it was one of the driest, awfulest gigs that, that I've ever done You know, f- with a band It was really just a bit
0: toss I saw I saw Arctic Monkeys at um, Lancashire Cricket Club Ray gig it was shit for me was it yeah it, it just it just didn't sound good and yeah
1: i love that gig yeah but it, i think that's that's you know from my perspective it was that was the biggest gig i'd ever organized and i i did a lot towards organizing that gig so i did i had to do a lot of site visits run up to it i had to do a lot about like you know the support bands getting
0: them yeah, you, you've got loads invested. Yeah. I don't yeah. mean your job was shit that you did. <laughs> it's just, we, we were kind of... See, at, where, half, where were you? We were halfway back, near towards back. And right. It just didn't, it didn't sound good. And mm. this is the thing that I don't like about big gigs. The further and further you get back, you lose that energy and you, yeah. loo- you lose that sound. And it's just kind of not same. And there were a lot of knobheads there as well. Loads oh, of knobs. Loads of knobheads. Loads of, knobheads, loads of knobheads. And, I had to. Me and my girlfriend were sat down near near the back, just in some chairs. Hmm. And these dickheads were sat behind us, uh, pissing in cups and turning them over. And I'm like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And uh, yeah, and it just kind of spoils that whole atmosphere. What day did you come? <sighs> I can't so even that's mean. weird, isn't it? The,
1: that we were at the same gig.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, you, you, know. you you organized it all, and I'm telling you, it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I'm fine with that. Did you come? There was one day where PA cut out.
1: Yeah, when did it, it come to that? So it's, it's at that, that p- point, right when the PA cut out, I my I should usually be on stage with the band, and I'd gone to have a walk and have a listen out front, and I'd walked up to the VIP section because Sam was there, and I was stood in the VIP bit, just going, "Oh, this is fucking great!" Cause it sounded brilliant up there, <laughs> by the way, obviously. Um so I stood there just looking going, This is great This is real Where's the fucking sound gone? What? And then I had to run <laughs> From the VIP thing Which is about A quarter of a mile <laughs> yeah. Back to the stage To tell Alex That it had gone off Because he was still singing mm. And I, there's a There's a photograph somewhere Um oh, I've not It's not out But there's a photograph of me On stage With Al Whispering in his ear and I can remember what I was saying to him I was going Al Stop playing The fucking PA's PA gone off
0: <laughs> Well at that point I was stood in the crowd Thinking This sounds shit And we've paid a fortune for these tickets And I just want to go home Oh god <laughs> Fucking hell That's not good Yeah And that were And And previous to that I'd seen Artsy Monkeys a couple of years before And I still loved them But at that point They'd brought out a couple of albums That I worked that into mm. I still love the first album more, and they changed the style massively. They did. And they, they never they never really made another album that were like that first album, which no. in, in retrospect I think is fine now, because AM's brilliant, but it felt like they at that point that were one of the shittiest albums I'd listened to.
1: Favourite worst nightmare?
0: Yeah, it was pretty bad. I, I That was probably... That one's probably my favourite one after AM, Really, P- Personally I don't like any of those softer ones that they did in between no. uh, See
1: I th- I thought Favourite Worst Nightmare was like Because it was such a departure from the first album It was really difficult to, to sort of get your head round I, I, I thought it was still a good album You know if you put it up there If you take away their first album Then it's a great album But because they'd come out with such a stonker in the first one it's kind of hard to live up to that. So.
0: It felt like they kind of did it because they wanted to put a statement out there saying we're not an indie band from Sheffield yeah, and we're not going to stay like that.
1: Yeah, I think there was probably a bit of that and the fact that, you know, they were growing up. You know, they couldn't replicate that moment in time and, you know, if you listen to Favourite Worst Nightmare it's about experience that experiences that they'd had whilst they were touring. You know, it's all about you know, there's a lot of it is music industry related and a lot of it is, you know, Al's relationship with Joanna and, you know, there's a, it's, a, it's a lot about just that moment in time. So they couldn't ever go back to what, what they'd done. You know, if they'd have done that, then that would have been... Like, Al, Al is always quite true to himself. You know, he'll, he'll not... He won't do something just because it sells records.
0: And you can you can tell that. Yeah.
1: And you know, if you listen to the Shadow Puppets, you know, that the Shadow Puppets came about as a result of um of albums that he was given to listen to by various people as we were touring who we respected, you know, and they'd come and they'd go, oh, I'll have, I'll have brought you some music to listen to and they'd bring him like um you know, like Dion Records and um you know like some really great old music, you know, and he'd, he'd start to get into all this stuff, and you can see it in his head that he's changing and, and his songwriting's kind of changing. And
0: all right, yeah, <laughs> just making sure Mike's still working, okay. Um,
1: so yeah, you could see it that it, you know, he was he was sort of you know, he's, he was he was developing and, and growing as a, as a musician and a songwriter. And so it was never going to be The same again You know And the third album Was never going to be the same As the second And It just You know He's not one of these guys That can That can just keep churning out The same old Same old He's got You know He's he's such a brilliant songwriter If you, if you listen to What he writes And the way that he crafts a song You know Right from the start He knew how to do it And it's just developing You know Through different albums I mean the the first Shadow Puppets album, for me, was just fucking a proper mind-blower. I was I was trying to persuade him to do um, a James Bond theme. I, I think it would have been brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I really do. And I was saying, he got offered it, and wow. I was just going, Al, oh, you should fucking really do this. <laughs> <laughs> and his his reason for not was, yeah, but what if I fuck it up? You know, I think it, it was really, he did, that was a bit too big for him, I think. worked well, I don't know he probably told me to fuck off And stop me <laughs> stupid But I know that he You know He had He did I tried to persuade him mm.
0: that's, that's amazing he's, he's made all this success And Monkeys have been Such a massive success And At that point He's He's still humble enough To think I can't do a James Bond theme Because I'll fuck it up That's It's just amazing When everybody else around Around him Probably would have gone to his head In fact I was talking to someone About this earlier People, and basically it's that simple quote that people who are shit think they're good and people who are good think they're shit hmm. and people who are the best at anything that they do just think they're shit and that's why they keep continuing to get better and better and better because they know they're never just good they enough. feel like
1: they're not good enough, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he knows he knows he can write a song, you know. I'm sure there's no doubt in his head about that and I'm sure there's no doubt in his head about the success that he's got.
0: But he always wants to make a better song.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he's, you know... I've not seen him for a while. When did I see him last? About a year ago, I think, maybe. But he's still a still a lovely guy. You know, I still get on quite well. You know, I don't I don't talk to him regularly. I don't talk to any of them regularly, but occasionally I'll drop him a text, or they'll drop me an email or whatever, and you know, just hello, how you doing? Nothing amazing, but you know. And when we're, you know, if we bump into each other or we're out, you know, doing stuff, they're still really lovely guys. You know. I'm still friends with a lot of them on various bits of uh, social media and
0: <laughs> Which, like. which is amazing which is to consider. Uh, that's kind of side of fame and success. They're very pe-
1: private with that, though. They yeah. are. I mean, Elders, you know, puts stuff out on his Instagram and that, but they're not. Again, they're not. They're not ones to court that shit. They're not. They're not interested in. In. They're not interested in the fame side of it
0: which I think is probably the best way to be. Yeah,
1: they never have been. Like, when we were touring, Kaiser Chiefs were touring at the same time, and they were coming up about the same time, you know, there was a bit of a thing, I guess. And um, I remember we were reading something about Ricky Wilson, and he said something like he'd wank off a tramp to be famous. (laughs) And and we just were reading it going, you fucking tosser. Who would do that? Why would you Why would you do that Why would you say that And it. You know They just wanted that fame And The lads never wanted It like that You know They wanted to be Successful musicians They wanted to be a great band They didn't want to be A famous person
0: mm. Yeah One more thing I want to mention And we'll probably come back To acting Monkeys again Are those headphones hurting your ears A little bit <laughs> One more thing I want to mention That I've always been curious about So it's Milburn. Milburn and Arctic Monkeys. Mm. So they're two very similar sounding bands. Mm. And I've spoke to this, spoke to people about this a lot, who are, you know, they're not into it. And I know Milburn and Arctic Monkeys were friends. Mm. Still are, I think. Yeah, and Milburn came first. Mm. And people often think that Milburn sound a lot like Arctic Monkeys. So th- the thing that a lot of people always say Is that Arctic Monkeys basically Commercialise what Milburn sounded like So they're, they're, There's they're, definitely some influences going on With those two bands Yeah there
1: is I mean they they grew up together As bands I know, I think one of the And bands. they were close mates You know them Milburn Reverend They were all coming up at the same time They were all you know uh, John with, with um, Jude and Suki And 1984 And You know They were all doing The same sort of stuff And writing stuff together And playing together a lot And you know Hanging out together a lot So they're, they're going to have Similarities You know If you if you listen to John's John and Alex's Songwriting styles In the early days There's not much difference I mean John was a bit Sort of Poppier I guess You'd say mm. Very similar You know Talking about You know Stuff that was happening Around that time So And same with Melbourne You know They were hanging around together They were writing about The same sort of stuff They were into the same Similar sort of music You know They were all into the strokes They were all into You know Some of the You know Like uh, The Well Cookie was into Rock But they were were all into Similar music So It's inevitable That they're gonna Sound Similar Because they were into Similar bands
0: Hmm. You know, one of the biggest things that always pisses me off, though, and people always think that Milburn copied Arctic Monkeys, and it kind of annoys yeah. m- annoys me when people think that.
1: See, I don't think there are any copying going on. I think if you if you look at Joe and his songwriting and Alan his songwriting, they, they don't copy each other. They just they're just very similar. You know, they're just very similar bands.
0: I think one of the best things that. I forget his name now What's the lead singer of Melbourne? Joe Carmel One of the best things he's done Is Dead Sons The band that he made I don't know if you've ever listened to Oh sorry
1: no it's Tom Rowley Not
0: Joe Tom Rowley Tom Rowley yeah yeah. Sorry (laughs) Sorry Joe (laughs) And Tom Tom Tom, Yeah Tom's uh, Dead Sons band Is fucking brilliant They were good weren't they? They were good They made one album I wish they would have made ten Um, You
1: know I used to manage them
0: Did you? You used to manage everybody (laughs) didn't you? (laughs) No I actually
1: managed Dead Sons Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the quite, quite badly, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> the Sorry, the Dead Sons.
0: The thing they did before, backhanded compliments as well. Yeah, were, really good. Were really good. Yep. And I always wished they would have made an album, backhanded compliments. In fact, I've still got kind of a sort of a demo album on uh, iTunes that I, I nicked off all their old demos and stuff like yeah, that. And yeah, yeah. Put my own album together and everything's different levels in album and stuff and it's really annoying to listen to, but... Some of the stuff on there is just brilliant And they never took it any further Because as far as I can tell Tom just loves making new bands all the time yeah. And he's never satisfied we won one band
1: well, well, I mean, you know I I really enjoyed the Dead Sun stuff You know, I enjoyed working with them Getting that together and. Um,
0: In fact, I remember, I remember the first time I saw him Because it were backhanded compliments at that time I w- I'd gone to see Reverend Reverend and the Makers uh, uh, Lincoln because my girlfriend were in university at that time and I'd gone to see Reverend Um Reverend was shit but I walked I walked in and there were just this really loud fucking band banging drums and playing these amazing tunes I, I thought who are these guys I need to know who they are straight away turns out was they were- that at the engine room? engine shed engine shed yeah
1: yeah, I think I did got that, that gig for John. <laughs>
0: so you were there as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: you just been probably a lot of gigs that you've been to. Yeah, probably lurking in the background.
0: Yeah, I, and I listened to them, found out they were called Backhand Compliments, and just tried to find the stuff straight away because they were just st- the stage presence they had. Hmm. Wh- it reminded me a lot of, I guess, what um, what Royal Blood came out with afterwards. They just had this loudness and this rawness to them that just kind of hit you straight in your stomach. Yeah, they the, they were just awesome awesome life. and yeah I'd, I just wish they would have taken it a little bit further but that's just where things are sometimes yeah,
1: yeah. well Tom got offered a job with Arctic Monkeys yeah, yeah. and it all went wrong <laughs> 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 can't blame him though I mean you know somebody, somebody like that offers you a job
0: you know um, yeah you 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 turn d- it down unless you're me yeah. <laughs> 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 I think at that point as well um I, the one at one at Nicholson's were doing out merch as well for uh, for Reverend when I were there. Probably Rob, yeah. Yeah. I can't I can't remember which one it was. Probably Rob. Um it t- could have been Andy though. Andy no, in fact no, I think it were Andy. Yeah. Andy it, did work for John occasionally. Yeah, and I think that uh, that night as well, I think Tom played in Reverend. Probably, yeah.
1: See, that's the thing, you know, like when you're talking about these bands and they sound the same and they're copying off each other, it's just, they're not, they're just mates. And, you know, they all just hung out together. So,
0: you know, they're gonna, there's gonna be similarities. They've all gone in massively different directions now, though. They have now, yeah, yeah. I think Reverend's last album were kind of reggae. I love that last album. Is it the, the reggae one, reggae-ish one? Is the last album? I've released another one since. What if it's reggae, that one, I can't remember now. It's good though. Yeah, and so he's, he's gone in a massively different style. Mm. And you know what I wish John would do again? Mongrel. Did you listen to Mongo? No, that were him and Andy, weren't it? Yeah, that yeah. album is, I never really listened to much it of it. It is fucking ace. If you don't like rap music, you probably won't like it, but it's it's full, really good, they usually call them conscious rappers. So conscious rappers are people who rap about proper stuff. So they rap about problems with world and politics and all stuff that you really should be rapping about and not just gangsters and guns and stuff like that. And it's full of people like that. That album, and it's it's just really well put together. Uh, it's just an amazing album. They always I said, "I listen to it," which is weird. Listen to it because it's brilliant. Mm, I have to listen to that. Th- they always claim they're going to do a second one, but I just don't ever think it's come together because I think it's quite a big group of people that did it as well. So it's probably a, a nightmare to organise. I might worry, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> do yeah, make it happen because it's 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 an awesome album. I listen to it to death, and I think. Yeah, there's a guy called Loki on there. Yeah, well. Loki. Yeah, yeah. I love all his stuff. I listen to all his albums, and that's where I first heard Loki on that mm. album. On uh, there's a, there's a track on there called Alphabet Assassin, where he just raps entire alphabet, um, and he did that on one of his <laughs> albums afterwards as well, and it's, it's just brilliant. So, yeah
1: sounds very boring. A B C. Yeah.
0: Think, yeah, it, yeah it we're good. I anyway. suppose you've got to have that melody,
1: have not you, to make that interesting?
0: Yeah. I just love all his lyrics as well mm. Particularly Loki. key um, When he just raps about conspiracy theories And things like mm. that it's, I just love stuff like that So that's all of Arctic Monkeys It took us nearly an hour to five, talk about Five minutes <laughs> Most of that And you said before we started it we We're going to take five minutes I still missed loads out, thank God I know <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about something else So you were tour manager of Arctic Monkeys But you also organise a festival Yes Which is called Tram Lines Mm. Which is also pretty damn successful in Sheffield It's all right, And the wider country as well And We've won award You've won award, award winning (laughs) festival Yes, several And Yeah, yeah, and that's just really cool as well But that's a different angle completely So you've got to book artists You've got to find artists And you're a small team as well, aren't
1: you? Yeah like um, So I don't I don't have anything to do With the bookings really As such Apart from I just I have a say on Who plays A little bit Like we we get a list Usually Of like These are who we're going to approach And we can say No we don't want them Or we can add names into that But we have a booker That does all the booking So I don't have anything to do with that But I do often put names forward And quite often They'll, they'll end up being booked Because you know we all have similar tastes, I guess Um But yeah, there's a, it's a small team Currently um, There are It's it's me And Sarah Nulty, who Who's the festival director And it used to be a girl called Kate Who was the booker Slash marketing person And essentially th- That was the organisational team Of tramlines That worked on it For the majority of the year Um the, obviously, there's other people around us that work alongside us, but essentially, we're the, the sort of organisers. Um, so, Kate did the booking, Sarah sort of does the overview of, of the whole festival, and she also deals with certain operational aspects, licensing, first aid, other bits. Um, and I deal with. Um Sorry, got itchy face. <laughs> um, I deal with with everything that is not in Sheffield, that needs to be in Sheffield for Tramlines to So all the outdoor stages, fencing, staging, toilets, sound lights, video, um, water, security, uh, basically everything that, that needs to be at the festival that's not there now is my responsibility, which is a big job a really big job. Um and I also deal with a lot of the safety and operational planning of the event. So to make I have to I have to deal with the police and the council and all that other boring shit to actually make the gig happen. So that's my
0: role. Mm-hmm. It's a little role. <laughs> Just a professional organiser. Yeah. <laughs> but a ridiculously complicated organiser
1: <laughs> Yeah I mean that's a, It's a big job that one It's uh, I generally start In July
0: And when's festival start? So
1: July But I start the July before
0: Yeah so 12 months in advance Yeah
1: pretty much Like usually in the run up To the festival me and my team will be discussing the next year of like, you know, what what we can improve on. And then immediately after the festival, we have a debrief of what we need to improve on. And then I'll start talking and planning sort of September time. And then that just carries on to July.
0: And just for anybody who doesn't know what Tramlines is, it's probably... Am I right in saying it's probably one of the most complicated festivals to organise? Because it's not just one location, it's locations all around Sheffield, pubs, clubs, everywhere, outdoor events. They all host different bands and you've basically ended up with about 50 gig venues or more.
1: Yeah, well it used to be, um, it used to be, um, so many venues, um, but now it's, it's kind of shrunk down to us just organising the outdoor spaces now. Um... But it was it was very complicated to organise. There was a lot of different plates to spin, a lot of different stakeholders involved, a lot of different voices that wanted a, a say in how it was run, um. and it's it's not really got any simpler because we've obviously got bigger, and as as we've got bigger, we've kind of had to like bigger as in outdoor. We've had to kind of look at how we can make it more efficient for us to run and also like it it wasn't working for venues and stuff but it's you know it is a big job it is a big task
0: definitely have you got any interesting stories you can tell us about tram lines that you're allowed to be recorded and put on internet (laughs) Uh, um, any surprising stories no not really have you got any stories about how cheap a particular band were does any band ever work for free oh loads
1: but no cuz we don't generally we don't we don't ask bands to work for free we try and pay every single band that that played for tramlines cuz it's like tramlines is too. it started out 10 years ago um as a as a free event let's go back let's do the history it started in 2009 as a free event um and the reason it started was Like, the initial reason was to try and bridge the gap of the summer holidays when the students fuck off for a lot of the businesses in Sheffield so a lot of bars and clubs and pubs were threatening, well not threatening but they were under pressure under financial pressure throughout that three month period when there's no students in town you know they've all got VAT bills and stuff and quite a few pubs and clubs almost went under and so this was like a it was kind of like a bit of a remedy to that problem which it solved really well Um, and so in in the initial like years it was a free event that everyone was to be involved in in Sheffield and then as the council started to withdraw their funding and as it became bigger and more popular and took more organising and more money we had to change it to a pay model to to sustain the festival which still to this day which is, I think, say six or seven years now that it's been paid. People still complain. It's too much fucking money. It used to be free. This
0: they still come, now, don't
1: no, they? Yeah, no, they don't. Well, they can. I don't care anymore whether they come or not <laughs> because some kind of over it. It's like, look, right, you've got this fucking amazing festival on your doorstep. If you don't want to spend thirty quid, because like you can, well, it's less than that. Twenty-five quid, I think, early bird tickets. If you want to spend that to come and support the event You can fuck off and go somewhere else It's just Yorkshire attitude though, isn't it? It is, it's it's Sheffield particularly How much? It's Sheffield particularly, we're all tight Yeah And I say we, because I'm here and I'm the same (laughs) But uh, yeah, you know, you've got to support these things And if you don't, then they will disappear at some point So so we had to to change it to a paid model, which we did And... um, and then, as it's as it's grown, we've had to sort of, you know, make it make it more viable, which um, which is still not quite really. I mean, there's a you know, there's a there's this thing that we joke about within the organisation that um, everybody thinks we're millionaires, the sort of organisers of tramlines, and people say it a lot. You know, I've been to residence meetings where there's there's been complaints, and they go, "Oh, you're all fucking millionaires with your yachts." And I go, yeah. Have you seen my yacht outside, or have you seen the knackered old car that I'm driving? Because I'm skinned. So it's quite, it's quite a. It's, it's it, it. The thing is, is that it's Sheffield, and the people of Sheffield feel like they own it, a part of it. And you and know, to a certain extent, you know, they did help build it. You know, they have helped build it. But it's like any other event. You know, it's got to, it's got to wash its
0: face. It's got to actually pay for itself. Hello again, it's Craig. I'm going to have to interrupt the middle of this episode because something happened in the middle of this podcast. In fact, two things happened. Number one, the when I was recording the episode, the time ran out, so my card was full, my SD card was full, so we skipped just a tiny bit of what I recorded. And number two, Tim started talking about something that, on reflection... He thought he probably shouldn't say publicly, so there's going to be a bit of a skip here, and we're going to get straight back into the conversation. I just thought I'd explain that though before we went back into it. So I'm going away now, and the thing's going to start right again, right about now. When, uh, what were we doing?
1: Um, I can't, uh, they had a photo shoot for the album in the house, I think.
0: And I, t- I went with them, and just took a few snaps. That must have been one of the coolest parts, actually, for being being with Artie Monkeys doing photo shoots. You know, being on a photographer as well. You must have loved. Being I didn't on do those.
1: yeah, but I didn't do any of photo shoots. I did no, I did a couple. So I had a few few published, few of my pictures published of them.
0: Did you take photo on first album?
1: No, Chris McClure. No, um, I think. It was Andy Brown that took that, I think. Although I couldn't, couldn't guarantee that. My memory is pretty bad. I do remember getting Chris and going to him. Right, you've got to go out and get fucking pissed, mate, and smoke loads of fags. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and that's exactly what he did. So it we're a genuine. Photo, we were pissed in that. No, oh, exactly. yeah. he was hammered,
1: <laughs> battered, like properly. He'd been out loads. And drunk a shitload, and like all fags, that are on middle of
0: record of what he'd smoked. Wow, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So we were just talking about Bowie. We'll skip over that because we missed it. Because <laughs> we, I don't didn't...
1: mind. I don't mind doing a quick recap.
0: Go on and do a really quick recap. Okay.
1: So, um, New York Bowery Ballroom gig, Arctic Monkeys. Uh. Matt's brother, Gary, was coming I'd reserved the table Gig started I looked up, somebody was sat in their seats So I went up and said, excuse me folks You're going to have to shift Um, Went back down, they shifted Went back down to the stage and looked up And realised I'd moved David Bowie And uh, Yeah, so I went, oh fuck Um, Long and short of it Was that uh, You know, he was quite a nice guy In the end I think that was the end of the story Yeah And
0: that we're going to lead on to another question Who is the weirdest celebrity fan That you've seen That Arctic Monkeys have got Who've, who've been to one of the gigs Can you remember specifically Any kind of weird celebrities I don't know, Like Peter Andre or something like that
1: It was always quite weird When, when Puff Daddy turned up <laughs> That was weird Always P. Diddy Yeah P. Diddy
0: Oh, what's he called now? He's changed his name again, has not he? Oh, he, he said it were a piss take, didn't he? It, oh, has he, he changed yeah, it? Yeah, okay. he just did it for publicity. It wasn't even real. I Whatever. Yeah, it was, I can't remember what it was, but it was something really stupid. Oh, oh dear. Um, wow, so so PDD, Puff Daddy were really into Artie Monkeys. Yeah, and <laughs>
1: there's actually quite a funny story about him. Um, New York again. Uh, so... Um, he came, he, I knew he was coming, because we had a phone call.
0: Peter, is coming. Prepare everything.
1: Well, no, Peter, is, is coming. Don't prepare fucking anything. <laughs> that, 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 I never prepared home for celebrities. I knew they were coming. I put them on guest list and stuff and, you know, made sure that them and their entourage could get in and arranged for, like, back doors, back door entry, generally. Stars like the back door entry. Um... But yeah, I never really It weren't like, oh we'd better get loads of Shit in for Pete, you know For Diddy, it was just alright It's fine, it can come down But anyway, so he came down and he It was him and Five security guys And so I'd got him some seats On the balcony where they were safe And like the security guy came in And he's this really big Big guy Proper intimidating big guy I wasn't that intimidated And he was going Oh we've got to Have, have like the safety For For, for Sean I Called him Sean All the time Um, You know It's like going Oh it has got to have This secure area And nobody Blah 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 so I said, alright Yeah fine whatever So he's got this Space for him That was secure I'd got Like we had security With us So our security Was working with them To make sure that They were safe And er uh, it's like I think it was probably about th- Four songs in I'd done my usual Get the band on stage Make sure they're happy And then I thought oh, I'll go and see How Diddy's doing Make sure he's alright Make sure he doesn't need oh, yeah, Take him a beer or whatever If he needs it um, And I got up there And there was just these Five security guys And I was like No sorry There weren't five But there was some of his Security guys And my, my security guy Was up there And I went where's Diddy and he just sort of looked out at the balcony and pointed down and Diddy was in the fucking mosh pit no way yeah <laughs> in the mosh pit jumping round like he'd never been to a fucking gig in his life before like he looked the most out
0: of place I've ever seen anyone. I bet he were in some ridiculous suit or something as well. He, he
1: weren't actually. He didn't. He didn't look that stupid. And he, he, <laughs> like I don't think he'd come to sort of show off. He'd come to enjoy the gig because
0: he fucking loves Arty Monkeys. And he
1: just, I, I, I remember it vividly, and I was just looking down. I "What's he doing? Why is he Why is he jumping about that?" Because he weren't like you know when people are at a gig, they're like you know having it normally. Yeah. Well he was like an excited toddler Both arms in air Jumping <laughs> up and down And it was just like Oh okay That's weird But yeah So that
0: that was an odd Odd uh, Celebrity story That, that was amazing yeah. I, I just can't I cannot think Or imagine P. Diddy doing that Well right There's another interesting thing
1: about P. Diddy Which is It's not actually about him It's, it's about me But um, Are you P. Diddy? No No <laughs> I might be. <laughs> now, um, the the day I decided to quit, we'd we'd flown into Miami, so I'd we'd come off business class flights. I'd got my own suite at the Mondrian Hotel in Miami, which is a beautiful, beautiful hotel. Very nice. And I'd been comped this huge fucking suite, and um, that night. We were going out with with P Diddy, and uh, I was sat in the hotel room that day, looking down at the pool where everyone was having a beer. And uh, I just, I just thought, I don't want this anymore. I want to be at home. And that's like, it's a weird moment that when you, when you have that sudden realization that you've got it all, and it's not exactly what you want, and that the things that are more important to you. Uh, 5,000 miles away Or 3,000 miles I think it's 3,000 from Miami But yeah, thousands of miles away And, you know, you don't necessarily The things you thought you want You don't necessarily want anymore You know, it's a bit of a weird feeling But yeah, there's a bit of a link to, to Diddy there
0: Are you still in touch with P Diddy?
1: No <laughs> No <laughs> Is I don't it- even think I've got his Let me
0: look <laughs> <You're> gonna- <laughs> Oh man, I bet you've got loads of random phone numbers in there. Oh, there's all sorts. I've
1: got. um, I I think I've still got his number. Let me look.
0: Who was Who was your most famous phone number? uh,
1: Sean Wright Phillips, footballer. That's pretty famous.
0: Obviously, there's old monkeys in here. Uh,
1: No, I ain't got.
0: There's no P. There's no Diddy. I don't think. Shittest radio moment ever where Tim scrolls through his phone <laughs> silently looking
1: for <laughs> looking for famous dan dan hawkins is in here definitely uh, there's a there's a
0: few you know <laughs> so so were were Alex or somebody in Arctic Monkeys friends with P. Diddy? Did that elders they, had a bit of a did he like P. Diddy? Sort of,
1: yeah and they, they had a bit of a like kind of I think they did a, a bit of music together Eventually, him and Elders.
0: So yeah, it's a bit of a relationship. Yeah, because uh, Elders made those albums, didn't he? What were they called? Those albums he made he had "night" in the name. Oh, I can't remember. You know, you know what I mean, though. Yeah. You know, those kind of almost mixtape type mm-hmm. things, where he picked his favorite music and then he also played on some tracks. Yeah, I can't remember what they're called. Yeah, they were really good. I don't remember seeing a P. Diddy song though.
1: He did. He did some. There was some thing going on.
0: It were not It were not like a big thing, though. <laughs> it ain't no
1: big thing.
0: Is that that's got a bit most random famous person who likes Arctic Monkeys?
1: Um, no, <laughs> probably not. Although, like some other random famous people you might not know about, so a really interest interesting one for us. Um, there was a there's a, a serial killer in. Australia. Oh God, where is this chopper? Chopper Reed. Chopper, yeah, no chopper. No chopper. The film Chopper. The film Chopper. Great, Great, brilliant. So you know Neville Bartos. Neville bloody Bartos, mate. Yeah. Yeah. The guy that played Neville Bartos is a big Arctic Monkeys fan, (laughs) and I've got photographs of Neville bloody Bartos in front of Matt Elders' drum kit, Mm. and on his drum skin it says Neville bloody Bartos, mate. So that, that's a bit weird But like for us That was quite a big thing Because we were all huge fans Of the, the film And like the books And Michael Godinski Who runs uh, Mushroom Records in Australia Who's the monkeys No they're not on Mushroom Sorry Scratch that Michael Godinski Runs Frontier as well Mushroom Records Frontier And uh, Frontier Were the promoters Of Arca- Arctic Monkeys Gigs in Australia And Michael Godinski made the film Chopper. you He really? produced it, yeah. yeah. So, like, um, Chopper Reed stayed at Michael Godinsky's house, <laughs> which is just fucking mind-blowing. Yeah. The bloke that chopped his own ears off. Yeah. So, that like, there's a, a link, pretty much direct, to Chopper
0: Reed. So is there any other direct serial killer links? No, just that one. <laughs> just that one? Is it Yorkshire Ripper or anything? No. Done? Not getting no. sent any pictures from Yorkshire Ripper? Nope. Is there any other... Uh, I think there's any others. Um, well, I'll throw a name in your head because you mm-hmm. mentioned Stephen Tyler earlier.
1: I did. Yeah, that's not Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> that was
0: the darkness. But you were going to say something about him. So, what's what's your random Stephen Tyler story?
1: Um, so the the gig was in. Um, I can remember the venue, but I can't remember the city.
0: I think it might have been Boston. So before you say anything else I think That Stephen Tyler Would be a knobhead
1: Hmm He's really not He's really not No No So We're playing We're playing in a venue in America Which could be either In Boston or Arizona I can't remember which Might not have been either of them cities um, But Stephen Tyler Turned up to, to the gig Pretty much Unannounced um, and was just lovely. Like he was, um, he was walking around the venue, just introducing himself to everyone. Like nobody knew who he was. Mm. He's going, "Hi, I'm Stephen. How you doing?" <laughs> He's like, "I know who you are." <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>
0: That's amazing.
1: And he was just, he was just a really lovely guy, full of life proper full of life and really sort of into the band and into you know hanging out with the band and
0: Into the darkness Yeah Yeah That's, that's amazing because you think it's glam rock cock rock yeah. You think everybody involved in that kind of thing was just a knobhead kind of songs he sings you think he'd just be a womanizer and just it
1: probably not, is all them things but yeah. it, that night it was really lovely you know and you can only go on your own personal experiences with these people and you know i the way that I think about celebrity is probably very different to the way that a lot of people think about celebrity, um, because it, I, I've i been surrounded by it for most of my life, that I don't, it doesn't faze me meeting anyone, you know. I, I think it probably would with, I don't even know if it would, to be honest. I was going to say with like, you know, like I'm a big fan of Lewis Hamilton but I still don't think that had really changed the way I'd I'd speak to him. Yeah, I
0: agree. But, Whenever I've met any celebrities, it's just been, you know, completely normal. They're just guys. Yeah. And particularly Lewis Hamilton. I mean, he's just, what is he, 22 or? No, he's 25. 26 now, I think. Something like that. He's just kind of a, a young guy, really, who's mm. in, in an amazing position in his life and... Yeah. And I think what they what those kind of guys want more than anything else is just to be treated like a normal person because they're just a normal person yeah. anyway.
1: Generally. Generally most most people don't want um they don't want to be like fawned over. They don't,
0: you don't want they don't want somebody to go up to them and say for a thousand times, "Oh, I love your album," or "I love you," or I, "I love what you do." They just don't want that.
1: I think I think there's a certain element of like, you know, they always appreciate a compliment, you know. So if, if you sort of, if you meet someone, I mean, if you just, if you're going, oh God, I love you, and you're all over them, you know, I love your music, oh, I love your albums, I've got everyone, oh. I, I think they're kind of not into that, but if you sort of, you know, introduce yourself and say, I think your last album was Ace, and that's the end of it, then they'll take it as a compliment. So, I don't, I, you know, it's weird, but I think, the way, the way that I see it is that everyone shits. Everyone shits. And so when you humanise people in that sense, they're just the same as you or me or anyone. They all go and sit on that pan and have to squeeze a poop out. And we all look stupid doing that and we all feel embarrassed about it. And they do it the same as everyone else. And so they're just humans. They're not superstars. They're not like, you know, well, they are superstars, but they're not... You know, they're not these godly things That you've got to look up to, I don't think Mm. And that's the way I've always been
0: Yeah, I agree with you And speaking of the darkness Now, I don't personally like the darkness Mm. But, um, you know, they've done a couple of good songs, I suppose But it's kind of classic rock Sort of, yeah Sort of, yeah, you know, it's glam, glam rock type stuff Falsetto rock is that what you'd officially technically call it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I know you're mega into classic rock specifically, and I just wanted to talk about it for a bit. It's like, what do you like the most about classic rock? So when we're talking about classic rock, what kind of bands do you think of so people know what we mean?
1: So for me, classic rock is is like um, Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Hawkwind and... You know, it's, it's, that, it's the old school rock and roll. Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf, you know, that sort of old-style old, old style heavy metal that mm. would be called... When I was a kid, it was called heavy metal, you know. It's just a cat. It's the, <laughs> she's the fattest cat in
0: the world. She is, she's, she's really fat. She looks like a triangle when she sits down. <laughs> <laughs> a blobby triangle. Oh, look, she's looking at recording equipment. Yeah, and... Yeah, that kind of classic rock. So those kind of bands, Steppenwolf and and those other ones, and they're just there's something about those kind of bands. And A C D C is not classic rock, but that's kind of a similar thing. There's something about those bands that are raw and pure and just
1: Well it, they were pioneers, which I think is is like part of the charm, you know, because it's it wasn't it was all new. Even even in the 80s You know Stuff that That they did Was still classed As fairly new um, You know It was And it, it's got a sound to it That's I don't know I can't really explain it It just It does Does something to me You know And I, Over the years I've sort of fallen in And out of love with it um, At various times But it's always been there You know And it's the music That I always end up Going back to, you know, if if I want to listen, if I sort of go, oh, I can't think more to listen to. I'll just chuck some Zeppelin on her, or I'll chuck some you know Deep Purple on her, or i you know, I've got a Spotify playlist that's just full of shit music like that. Mm. That's not shit. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, if you
0: if you speak to Sam, she just goes,
1: Ugh, it all sounds the same.
0: Uh, it, yeah, it doesn't. It <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. I, I think. Something I've recently got into That I never really appreciated Because I wasn't even alive at that time Was uh, Rainbow Ah yeah yeah yeah. Uh, Yeah. Particularly when Dio's singing in Rainbow Mm. Um, I've forgotten the name of the album now But it's got a really cool front cover And I've just been listening to that And I never really appreciated Dio Mm. Until probably a couple of years ago And that Rainbow stuff is just It's just brilliant It's just it's, It's so It sets a really cool place in time um, kind of like a, a Medieval kind of weird Weird feel to it Kind of fantasy rock type yeah. thing And it's just so yeah. Cool
1: Have you come to talk?
0: That is a loud purr It is isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah Well yeah I mean But a lot, of, like, a lot of the lyrics when you listen to it It's got like that um, That fantasy It's almost like a fantasy world isn't it Where you you sort of, you yeah. disappear into
0: it. I remember seeing an in- interview with Dio particularly and it, it was a video interview and it's showing you around his house as well and his house mm. is exactly as you'd imagine. Yeah. It's just full of dragons and <laughs> goblins and wizards and just everything that he's sung about. And when he's doing his interview, he's saying, yeah, I just sung about stuff that interested me. Yeah. Just like dragons and goblins yeah. and wizards and fairy tale stories and just all that kind of cool stuff that... Yeah. I don't think there's any Many other bands really That kind of sing about Stuff like that No Yeah So I'm gonna go back To some of these questions That you told me So you almost pressed stop Cat almost stopped it again <laughs> I'm gonna go back To some of these questions That were mentioned earlier Seafruit For a start Yeah They had a number 16 hit Yes did They did I don't even know What song that is Hello world Don't want to sing you some. Go on then Yeah <laughs>
1: Hello world. Here and I. No, I can't remember words. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, they had a sixteen, sixteen or seventeen, and that would be ninety, ninety-eight, ninety-nine round them, something like that. Yeah. yeah, and we we toured when I was touring with Seafruit. They were see this is this is where it all it all kind of becomes a bit. Um it kind of makes sense. So, I was I was working at the lead mill, and Graham Wrench, who managed Seafruit, was the main booker at the lead mill, and Graham asked me to to do sound for Seafruit, and then subsequently tour manage him. And then when they got signed, they were signed to Wildstar Records, which was a subsidiary of Telstar that was run by Ian McAndrew, who now manages the Arctic Monkeys. So it's kind of a, a bit of a full circle there. Yeah. So yeah, great band though, Seafruit. I really quite enjoyed working for them. They were like a good pop band, but like, a, it's sort of almost like
0: indie rock pop, I'd say. Oh, I've never, I don't even think I've ever listened to them. I feel embarrassed that You I've should. Not you should add some Seafruit to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I would suggest...
1: Um, I think so. Looking for sparks was their first single, and actually, I think I, I think I've heard of that one. Actually, watching the fireworks in the dark,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then other thing that you asked me well, you said we'll come back to it is Reading and Leeds. I've only wrote down Reading and Leeds, and now
1: oh, that was the monkeys gig, yeah, that we've talked about already, Have where we? it was like so. Well, actually, that we only talked about a bit of it. So, um. We, we sat backstage um, Getting ready to do the gig at, uh, It was Leeds more than Reading, I think um, But we sat, sat backstage and like we were on at I think it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon In one of the tents I don't think it was one of the bigger tents um, It was a fairly big tent And we were, we were expecting it to be a good gig But not, you know, not Super crazy And so we sat back there Having a few beers And you know And then Got to about I don't know 40 minutes before we'd you on Maybe half an hour before we'd you on And uh, A minibus turned up With Like security in So we like oh, Some security area And then another one And then another one And then a fourth I think I think there were four in the end Full of security (laughs) just like What the fuck's going on
0: So about 50 security people or something Loads (laughs) Like Loads of security
1: And we were all just going We thought We sort of thought something had kicked off So I went on stage to have a look And I was I was shocked To say the least As to how many people were there you know, I was expecting the tent to be busy, but it was, you couldn't move in the tent, like, it was 30 odd people deep outside, I think I said I've got a photograph of it, of the outside of the tent, which is just, you know, I'm sure I've still got it somewhere, um, and it was... There was so many people. And so they'd, they'd filled the pit up with security because we knew... Like, I'd already warned them that it was likely to be a busy pit because generally our gigs were fairly chaotic. Um, But, yeah, they just filled the pit up with security and they had, like, loads of security out in the crowd making sure that people were safe and it was a fairly chaotic
0: experience. A similar thing happened when I went to download probably seven years ago. Korn hmm. were playing. All right. So... At this point, Corn had not been at any festival for a while and they decided to play a download, but they didn't want to play on main stage. But ah, so they did a little tent. They did a little tent. Problem with that is everybody wanted to see Corn because at that point in time, the headliner was My Chemical Romance. Oh, dear. So, de- you know, <laughs> download is not a My Chemical Romance not kind, really. of kind of place. Everybody there, and I don't know how many people go to... Um, download but it's a lot i'm just trying to get rid of cat because i can hear it purring <laughs> on, on Kat, move. Just kick her off. <laughs> um yeah so lots of people trying to see corn and it was it was so rammed it was it was dangerous at that point to be honest because they, they weren't extra security like you were saying they just rammed everybody in and there were loads of people outside but what i always remember about that gig is it were amazing because it was it was slightly dangerous and they're always best gigs but i remember, um, somebody climbing up one of the pillows pillows yeah, yeah, not yeah. pillows pillows, pillows yeah. climbing up one of the pillars inside the tent and as he climbed up higher and higher everyone's looking around and going come on you knobhead get down at that point jonathan davis stops so just stops stops the entire band stood there in silence just looks at this guy he's like i'm not starting again until you get off that fucking pillar and he just <laughs> stood there and just waited wow uh, and every, at this point Everyone's trying to pull him down And pull him off And not in a good way either Trying to, <laughs> pu- trying to pull him down And yeah I think he ended up getting beaten up At the end of that oh be- But yeah It was just crazy 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 gig Probably most dangerous But exciting gig I've been to yeah. You And you don't really consider Korn to be that Particularly of a crazy band But mm. Yeah Pretty crazy experience They're the best kind of gigs though. They are Rage Against the Machine was similar to that. Oh, I bet that. Second looked, time I saw him, I bet that was definitely crazy. So the
1: first time I saw him was incredible. Hang on a minute.
0: She really wants some loving. <laughs> <laughs> she opened door as well, didn't she? Yeah. Intelligent and fat cat.
1: Right So yeah um, Rage Against the Machine First time I saw them Was in Rock City On their first ever Tour to England They did two gigs I think Or three Sorry um, They did They did London Nottingham And I think they did Glasgow And it was in In the small room At Rock City Downstairs So like 400 people
0: Yeah, really nice
1: venue Yeah, and I was photographing them At that point Which was Mid-90s, I think Um, And that was an amazing gig Like, it wasn't dangerous that one But it was amazing Because it was a tiny gig Um, But the second time I saw them Was at um, the Ritz in Manchester Um, And that was dangerous (laughs) Like, I've never seen a crowd Like so fucking just up for it and like I don't know if you know the Ritz in Manchester but it's got like a balcony no I've never been so it's a big dance floor and then it's got a balcony around it and the PA that they had was huge it was a huge PA and um, one guy climbed up to the top of the PA and jumped off it into the ground (laughs) which was fairly chaotic like a
0: wrestling move yeah
1: Almost They caught him And he didn't die Which was amazing And then somebody jumped off the balcony Which was just Same thing Just like Oh my god What are you doing? And that was like One of them gigs Where you just think Somebody's going to die in here Tonight I mean they didn't It was all fine But It was amazing Really exciting
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Most dangerous gig I've been to But it was planned danger Mm -hmm. Was Ramstein when I saw Ramstein in the UK, right. they were, I think it was Sonosphere, Sonosphere Festival, one the only gigs they were doing in the UK, they barely ever tour over here, still Ramstein don't tour over here mm. very much, and yeah, they're just exactly as you imagine, fireworks everywhere, yeah. flamethrowers everywhere, it, yeah, we're just nuts, if, we were stood right at front as well, and when you're at front of a festival, you're still miles away from band, Yeah, um, probably, I don't know, 30 or 50 feet, yeah. and you could feel the heat off all these flamethrowers and crazy stuff that wow. they had flamethrowers on the head, flamethrowers on their, head, flame on their <laughs> arms. It was just nuts. It,
1: that reminds me of um, Wasp. I don't know if yeah, you yeah, know Wasp. But, yeah, I've heard of Wasp. So, well, Blackie Old Lawless used to have a, um, a cod piece <laughs> that uh, flames threw out of.
0: That was pretty dangerous. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So. We've spoke about some dangerous gigs, and we've spoke about all those points. Wanted to wrap up. Finally, I want to get to questions from Cara. So, Cara, thing I do with everybody, I look on Cara, look for some related questions or random questions that I like, Mm. and I ask them to whoever I'm sat with. So these are all music, music related, Mm. Um, but I think the good ones. So first one, what's the best and worst gig you've ever attended? Mm, Okay. Do you want me to go with mine first? Yeah, go on. Give me a bit of thinking time. So the worst gig I've ever been to would probably be, and you're going to wait at me for saying this, is probably Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> <gig> <laughs> the cookie I <laughs> because <laughs> I could not hear Arctic Monkeys at all. Uh, uh, I hated it. I was stood there for two and a half hours and I couldn't hear a band. So I'm, I'm going to blame John Ashton for that. <laughs> John. And he the, was he was the front of house engineer at that point. And um, the best gig I've still ever been to And I fondly remember it Is Limp Biscuit. Wow Limp Biscuit At um, SECC In Glasgow in, Wow So that's a big bar On the SECC Yeah, yeah. 9,000 or 12,000 people yeah, In there Yeah um, I think it was probably Because of one of my first ever gigs I went to At that point right. I, I loved Limp Biscuit. The show were amazing They put on a really good show That were kind of The height of the popularity And for, Yeah Yeah Yeah, Fred Durstman. See,
1: I remember getting the Limp Biscuit album as a promo in 1995,
0: I think it was. Significant other, would that have been there?
1: I can't remember the name of it. It had had a cover version on.
0: Faith? Faith, yeah. Yeah, that's the first album then. Yeah. $3 bill, y'all.
1: Yeah, that's it, $3 bill. Um, And I got given that as a promo when I was touring with a band called Supergroove. And I fucking loved it I but thought it was an amazing album It's really good it really that album It did It just You know Because again It's one of them moments Where it feels like It's proper innovative mm. You know They did something That was so different
0: You know Yeah because the Fred Durst loved rap music Yeah Loved Wu-Tang Clan Loved yeah. people like that And They were one of the first bands To kind of mould them together To yeah. make new metal mm. You know Rap and rock And all that kind of thing Yeah And that were kind of Purest version They ever did of it Yeah and it was a
1: really good album though.
0: But when I saw him, They released way more albums than that oh, um, yeah. Well two or three more albums I think Maybe four more albums yeah. And they were kind of starting to wane I've never seen him live I don't think I, I saw him live then And then I saw him live at, I think it was Download Festival mm. And that were at a very different time When they were really going downhill Towards they'd released the second to last album They released a demo album mm. a five A five track album um, just before the last album mm. No one really cared about them anymore And everyone who, w- who would have liked them Would have been kind of my age They would have remembered them fondly mm. um, They were really good live But problem is Halfway through gig My girlfriend got a purse nicked out of a bag Ah, That's pretty shit Yeah, because people just do that at festivals When there's a bouncing <laughs> band on People just run <laughs> through crowd And stick their, stuff. Yeah. Stick, stick their hands in people's bags so, favorite one, Limb Biscuit. Worst ever one, Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> oh dear. Um. Okay. So, uh,
1: I think my see this is very sad. I think so. My, my favorite gig is probably from. It's potentially it's going to be from like the 80s
0: I think I bet it was one of the first ever gigs you yeah. went to on it I think it always the, is the,
1: the problem is is that there's so fucking many <laughs> so many that are just amazing like for really selfish reasons you know gigs that I've done and they're amazing for different reasons to actually watching the bands so like headlining Glastonbury is just mind-blowing you know as, a, as far as a gig goes, that's kind of up there that's it that's the top but um, in terms of actually watching bands like the early ones that I saw so like Anthrax Metallica I would have loved um, to have
0: seen Anthrax in in their early days well in
1: Sheffield City Hall in 1988 or 7 fucking amazing Among the Living Tour incredible (laughs) Incredible
0: That's one of my favourite albums And that done Antra-
1: well. uh, Metallica Master of Puppets tour.
0: Oh you're going to make me Really jealous now All and, these
1: um, And then Donington Monsters of Rock Which I, I can't remember If it was 87 or 88 But it had So Dio Anthrax Metallica Bon Jovi <laughs> I loved Bon Jovi I'm just, you
0: know, <laughs> I'm going
1: to put my hands up now that's like t- t- My teenage bedroom Was covered in <laughs> Anthrax, Metallica And Bon Jovi Um So that Like that festival Was an incredible gig Yeah You know And it was It was the first festival I w- I'd ever been to Me and my mate Jay who I'm still friends with now Still really good friends with Um We drove down In his I think we went in his Battered Cortina Um and just had the fucking best time It yeah. was amazing um, So yeah, it'd be probably one of them Early ones um, And then worst gigs uh, There was a band I worked for called Cable And they were shit I worked for them for two two gigs And uh, I quit about 30 seconds before they fired me uh, But they were they were awful um, and then worst gig as a punter, I don't know. Um,
0: Do you, when you go to a gig now, is it a bit like me as a designer? So when, oh, I, fucking I, when, when <laughs> I when I look at oh, anything, look at a menu in a pub or look at an album cover or whatever, I'm going oh it's shit that because they've done this wrong and they've done that wrong.
1: So if you speak to Sam, she will tell you I'm the worst person to go to a gig with. <laughs> I'm getting better. I have to say I'm getting better, but I will I'll stand at the back when. <laughs> what, what are you doing that for? <laughs> and you know, ooh, them lights are shit. <laughs> so yeah, I am. I'm, you know, I don't. I'm, I think as as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm less, less critical, or I'm more. I'm still as critical. I just
0: keep it and keep it to my fucking self. <laughs> yeah. So I bet the last gig you enjoyed Were before you started working on gigs.
1: No, no, not I just like. I've, you know, the gigs I've worked on, I've enjoyed, you know, and um, when I was touring with Rollins in the States, um, you know, I used, a lot of the gigs we were doing were like big shed festivals and they had incredible bands on and I used to love going to mosh pits. You know, I just, I love music. So it's, there's not many gigs I've been to where I've gone, oh, this is fucking awful. Generally, if it's awful, it's, it's usually because, there's something wrong with Like your Thing with the sound With the monkeys You know There's something like that Where It's a band you love And it's been ruined By some idiot Who can't fucking do their job
0: I so. Like Tim Tim Cleese John, John Ashton <laughs> <laughs> Yeah I had, I had the same, Sorry John I had the same experience When I went to see Clutch At Rock City mm. Clutch Is probably my All time favourite band right. I, I absolutely love Clutch I love the lyrics I love the Riffs Everything mm. And I went to see them at Rock City and they're known for being one of the tightest bands out there. Mm. So if you watch any videos of them on YouTube, they sound exactly like their albums mm. every single time. Went to see them, amazing support band on, never heard of them before. They were called uh, Planet of Zeus, right. a proper loud Greek metal band. Wow. They, were, they were awesome. i mean, have got loads of their albums now, I love them. And then, so they were really loud and then Clutch came on and they were quieter. Significantly quieter uh-huh. Than the band that came on before him, And as soon as they came on I was like Oh You know it just immediately mm-hmm. just Drops that mood It's your favourite band And and this were only a couple of years ago It's their favourite band ever And they come on and they're just Quieter than support mm-hmm. act And you just go Oh that's That's, that's not." it
1: so You want to be blown away don't you Yeah Well you see Like um, A lot of Engineers They do it the other way around Mm. So they'll say to the support band, "You can't be louder than me," and that's for that very reason. Yeah, you know? I, I get and most. You
0: know, most support engineers will respect that. Yeah, I, I think I think it was a conscious decision. It must have had to be a conscious decision that Clutch was saying, "We don't want to be that loud. We want to be this level of yeah. loudness." Yeah, and they were just unlucky that night that it turned out that Planet of Zeus were one of those bands that need to be super fucking loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they came on after him and to be honest I actually found they were a bit too quiet mm. it, it weren't that they were consciously quiet it was as if no one even walked around gig venue and they said we want to be this level of quiet and they didn't realise that yeah, they yeah. needed to be louder so they were tight they were really tight the music were amazing but it were too quiet and it, were, it was as if you were listening to Dropping it with earplugs on and no good rock music's gonna take your fucking head off it has, That's yeah. how it's got to work. And it, yeah, just kind of completely spoiled it for me. Again, mm-hmm. one of my favourite ever bands, you know, Arty Monkeys and Clutch, both of them, I've seen them both live and they've both been shit both times I've seen them. Oh dear. Which which is just rubbish.
1: <laughs> I can't take any responsibility for the Clutch. It wasn't there.
0: <laughs> so, next one. What are some messed up things about the music industry that few people are aware of? Um.
1: So the whole celebrity culture I found very messed up, you know I think it's ridiculous that musicians want to be just famous For being famous rather than famous for being musicians And that, you know, you see it a fair bit We saw it a fair bit as we were sort of, you know, moving through what we're going on Um, There's also the fact that um, it's very fickle. So, you know, one minute people pretend to be your best friend, and the next minute they'll pretend they don't fucking know you. And that happens a lot, you know. Certainly, like before, before I was with the, you know, before I got to a level where you you're doing big bands regularly. Then you get introduced to people along the way regularly You know, and you build relationships And at certain points You'll think that you've got a relationship with someone And then you'll bump into them or You'll need a favour or something And then all of a sudden you realise that it's quite fake And the relationship you thought you had is, Is nothing like what it actually is as far as they're concerned. So that's, you know, I find that really shitty. That whole, you know,
0: it's all just bollocks. It's just, just complete fakery. Yeah, it's you, all just bollocks. You see it in business as well, not not just in music. Mm-hmm. You see it in business all the time and you you just see those kind of people, you meet them, you know they're just being nice to you because they want to get something out of you. And the second that they've got it, they're gone and they don't like you anymore. It's I, I don't know how you could live with yourself being like that as a human you, you know it's just walking around life never making real connections with anybody yeah, I don't I, f-
1: I find it quite hard really to
0: I, c- I couldn't be like that I, I, I find it quite hard not to talk to someone and like them do yeah, you know what I mean yeah. you just talk to someone on a human level mm. I'm I'm not good at being that kind of psychopathic person that doesn't can not connect to somebody yeah. and talking to somebody and and not making an opinion about them, but these kind of people instantly switch that charm on and then instantly switch it off. Yeah, it's
1: like it's like you know when when it when it's happened to me in the past with the music industry, you know it feels like they've you've never even fucking met them. You know this it's so cold. It's like fucking hell.
0: I thought we were mates. Mm. You know
1: that's that's one thing that really pisses me off.
0: That's that's a psychopath That is the dictionary definition of a psychopath
1: Weirdly though, I've been reading this book Called uh, The Good Psychopath's Guide to Success It's a very, very good book um, And um, As I've been reading through This book I've realised more and more that I've got quite a Lot of personality traits That are shared with Psychopaths <laughs> You know um,
0: you know what, I were having this exact same I'm just trying to write that Good Psychopath book down Because I'm going to check the it out The Good
1: Psychopath Guide to Success It's by Andy McNabb and Kevin Kevin somebody Is it really by Andy McNabb?
0: Yeah <laughs> Brilliant
1: And he's he's like the the good psychopath Right And Kevin's this like scientist guy Psychologist
0: Yeah
1: And it's, a, it's quite an interesting book actually Certainly, from my perspective, because I do feel like I connect a lot with certain aspects of it. There's certain bits where I just
0: think, "Yeah, that's that's weird." I right. I were having that exact same conversation with my mate other week. Mm. We have it a lot because we're a bit similar in personalities, mm. and we talk about how we we're capable of being cold with particular people, not connecting emotionally with particular people in certain situations. And I always joke that I'm a psychopath because I'm capable of completely disconnecting myself Hmm. from, you know, if someone stood in front of me crying or it it doesn't necessarily always affect me emotionally. And I never cry at films. And I'm just completely emotionless to that kind of stuff. And I've always joked that I'm a psychopath. See, I
1: used to be like that. And now... I just, I cry out fucking everything. <laughs> Put DIY SOS on, I'm in bits. It's really, I think it's because you get old, you soften. Yeah. Your core softens.
0: And then other side of it as well is being a social chameleon. My mate's exactly like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm capable of sitting in a room with anybody and just mm. becoming what they need me to be in that Scenario, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, you're not you're not that same person all the time. You're not always that bullshy person. Or you're not always confident, or mm. you're not always one that always talks. I'm capable of being whatever that needs to be. They often say that that's kind of a psychopathic You should read that book. Yeah, yeah it's very good. Yeah, I'm definitely going to read it. <laughs> yeah, other good book about psychopaths is the Psychopath Test. I think it's called by John Ronson. That's
1: oh, yeah, you know, Sam loved John Ronson. There's a great story actually about John Ronson's books. Because um, Sam was reading one And I said, I'll have to read one of them And uh, I said to her, I said, oh, Is it funny? And she went, no and I went, oh well, he's quite funny on telly And she went Who do you think John Ronson is? And I was like well, It's that guy off that thing that you're watching it And I was thinking of um, Do you ever watch Parks and Rec? Yeah you know, Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was him. Yeah,
0: yeah. Psychopath Test is a really good book. I have to read that. The Men Who Stare at Goats is one of his other books that's brilliant as well. Though. Well, that film's yes. Yeah, they made it into a film. Yeah. And book is a bit more true to life, right? Because it talks about his experiences when he went to the army into this weird, right. this weird, fucked up paranormal division at army. But, I'll have
1: to have a read of these but, See but The problem is We're reading though Is that I Am Dyslexic And so To read a book Like that Good Psychopath Guide I've had it Two years I've not quite finished it yet That's My sort of Level of reading So Yeah Them two books You know When we talk again In a few years time <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> I might have finished One of them Yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, you should try audiobooks. Yeah, I can't. I've tried. Yeah, to be honest, I sometimes I can read them, sometimes sometimes I can listen to them. Sometimes I can't. There's just something about reading. I don't know. It, it, you feel I I
1: read the lines over and over and over again. And like, I can't get past until I've and it's not like I have to do it 15 times. It's just I'll read it and then read it and then read it and then I'll move on and then next you know, I might read the next ten lines fine, and then I'll read it and read it and read it and read it and, read it and then move on.
0: It's weird. I bet you understand it well, though, when you're done. No.
1: It's like I have to read it a lot for it to sink in, I think. I don't know. It's Some people dis- say we dis-
0: with dyslexia it's as if letters are moving around.
1: Yeah, I don't get letters moving around very... It's, it's not... You just can't
0: comprehend what you're reading? No. The, my, like,
1: the... I, I really struggle with I, I can comprehend it It's just there's something in my head I've got to read it again and again And then when I'm writing I'll write As I'm writing It's like I'm thinking too fast And I put letters from the words I'm thinking about Into the words that I'm writing So my writing's awful You know if you ever read my handwriting, Good luck It's worse than bloody doctors So yeah So yeah I struggle with reading but I'd probably quite enjoy them, I think So I'll Mm. have to give give them a go
0: Yeah Uh, Next question There's only two more after this In fact, we've kind of covered this one But I'll ask it again Just in case someone else comes to mind What are some famous musicians that are genuine jerks? Quote-unquote I hate that word, jerk
1: Yeah See, I can't Who... Hoo, hoo, hoo. Gee, I don't I can't think of any Really I'm sure there have been i have probably blocked them out of
0: my mind It'll be someone like Steps
1: or something like that won't No it? they were nice I met them, <laughs> met them. <Yeah. laughs> Sp- Well they, this is what I was saying about Seafruit I got I never got round to it um, When we were touring with Seafruit Because they were like a pop band We were doing all those pop tours So like the Radio 1 What did they used to call them Live lounge No They used to do these It were not even Radio 1 It was like local radio shows And so you'd do these pop tours And they would have all these pop artists Like Tea it. in the Park That no, kind of thing No, no Party in the Park Yeah Yeah, not Tea in the Park Yeah Party in the Park And you know Like Hallam FM used to do one and, and so we met all these pop bands We knew them all Atomic Kitten Knew them Steps met them a few times um, five, went on tour with Five for a bit um, So yeah, it was quite fun But he, even them Like I don't, I don't remember any of them being super dickheads Really yeah. I don't know if it's just me, maybe I'm just,
0: you know You just see a, it good a, in ob- everybody Oblivious to it <laughs> You see good in everybody, which is obviously a good trait Um I'll, I'll leave the really hard question to the last one So second to last one The penultimate question What do rock stars do after a concert?
1: Uh, well that varies <laughs> You know Between the rock stars um, t- Some Most rock stars like To have Just a bit of peace So they don't generally most of the bands that I've worked for they have 10 or 15 minutes where it's just the band in the dressing room there's nobody else goes in no crew no no one you know like as tour manager you know occasionally I'd I'd have to go in to like sort stuff out for them and look after them but generally it was it was a no-go area for for pretty much anyone so that's that's one thing Um. A lot of bands like to come off and have a shower because it's pretty hard work and it's hot up there. Um I mean some like to come off and do a line of cocaine. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um it depends on the band, you know. There's not many that that are, that are into that stuff, but you know, it does happen. I mean, that's one of the shitty things about the music industry, I guess, is that the, the drugs that are there free uh, drugs. It's not free though, is it? You know, sounds like free, but Mm. you pay for it in the end <laughs>
0: <laughs> very philosophical line though <laughs> final one it's going to be the toughest question you answer what are your top five bands of all time okay
1: so um queen mm. would be probably number one they are like the the go-to band of if i want to i don't stop me now i think it's Probably my all time Favourite song
0: And also used in One of the best ways On Shaun of the Dead
1: Yeah It really is Um So yeah then uh, Zeppelin Absolutely love Pretty much all of their albums Um I'm a big Beatles fan I quite like um The Beatles It's just happy Isn't it Just some of, So yeah some, Most of the stuff of, is Some of it sounds a bit sad yeah.
0: But it's just Easy Yeah. Easy music to listen to.
1: And you know, they they again they were quite pioneering, you know, they they really did change the the sort of face of of music. Um I think uh see I was gonna say Bon Jovi but they're not anymore. They were they were right up there when I was a kid. Um I ain't got a record collection to help me. Fleetwood Mac? No, no. I I really love Rumours. Yeah, it's brilliant Um, that album. And I think, um, but yeah, no, they're not up there. Iron Maiden? No, I loved them. Loved them back in the back in the day. Um,
0: Arctic Monkeys?
1: Yeah, they're up there definitely. I mean that first album Was just You know It set the scene for a a generation didn't it It Really did Um, Anthrax No (laughs) Great band but not Not favourites It is so tough isn't it to pick five It
0: is There's no way that I could do it
1: Um, I'm trying to think who else is in record collection
0: Way that I it's look at daughter. it with music, you listen to it when you're feeling a particular mood. Yeah, and it's it's difficult to rate it. See, Van Allen, right, Jump, yeah. is one of my
1: favourites. Like I love that song.
0: Hot for Teacher is my favourite.
1: Yeah. Oh, um but then I I love Johnny Cash and his mm. his cover of Hurt mm. is just amazing.
0: It's just haunting that song. Yeah.
1: Um. You know, but diff- like I had a, I did an interview with Steve Lamac when I was touring with the Monkees, um, and it, it was all about like what I did for them. And uh, at the end of it, he says, "You have you picked two records, one for a good day, and one for a bad day." And um, my good day tune was Van Halen and Jump, and my bad day tune was Johnny Cash Hurt. And uh, we played Jump So I was having a good day <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah So I, I don't even know where I could begin to pick my favourite bands Clutch, obviously mm. Easy Have you ever really listened to Clutch? No They're just uh, They're a bit like watching a Quentin Tarantino film Right They work on so many levels mm. And the lyrics are so nuts But brilliant mm. They're just one of those bands where you can read the lyrics And they're just good to just read because they're just crazy, the lyrics. They're just a big riff band, really, a big American riff band. The riffs are amazing and chunky, but the lyrics are ridiculous. Um, And that's why I love them. I love lyric-based bands a lot. They're kind of my favourites. And a band that's... Could I put them on my top five? They're definitely sneaking up there. Is a really divisive band that most people don't like, is Sleaford Mods. Fucking hate them. Yeah, there you go. I I just, I just love them. I just, I love it. It's just an old man (laughs) shouting bollocks over a fucking tape recorder. (laughs) I just, I think, I love what I love about them most is that they don't give a fuck. They just, they purposefully. Record it onto a laptop, and that guy just stands there and just presses play. <laughs> I saw him at, um, I've seen him twice. And I saw him okay. at
1: Glastonbury this year. And how a gig that! It was Look. awful. <laughs> Charlie, my eldest, loves him. And Sam said she wanted to go up and see him, see what it was all about. And we got there, and she just went what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> so we sat at the back being grumpy old bastards <laughs> while everyone was jumping about.
0: I just, I, I, lo- I love the really minimalist tunes, which kind of sound a bit like Joy Division crossway LCD sound system. Mm. I love his lyrics because they're so violent and they're so random and they're just, they're just all over the place. Uh, yeah, that like I said, I just love weird lyric bands. And they also remind me of punk it,
1: it is very punk rock very Completely punk, yeah. And I think it's like Almost punk for, for a generation You know Like Charlie and his mates Are into them And They're probably the band That like You know You don't want Your parents to love All the music that you love mm. And so I think it's They quite like that we hate them
0: Yeah that's definitely what it is Because yeah. there's The thing about drugs And the thing about Being working class See and I don't
1: mind any of that But for me His lyrics It's not That's not what comes across for me It's just a shouty old bastard
0: (laughs) So that's probably two Clutch, Sleaford Mods I don't think I'd put Sleaford Mods at 2 there They'd be five, maybe six Mm. Um, ACDC
1: Yeah, you see, they might appear in my top five, I think
0: Number three Possibly even number one In terms of how much I listen to them It's got to be up there And I'm going to actually I'm going to consult my music (laughs) Cheat To see what I've listened to most lately See Clutch is just always up there I really love Run the Jewels As well I listen to Run the Jewels a lot Um, They won't be in top 5 It's too hard to pick It'd probably be something Really classic For me as well Um, Maybe Led Zeppelin I don't know Something like that
1: uh, What have I got in here Kirsty McCall there's a guy who works down the chip shops Where's his Elvis?
0: <laughs>
1: uh, what's on my playlist?
0: Got a bit of Queen Slipknot Lamb of God <laughs> Wu-Tang Clan
1: so Foo Fires and Nirvana Great Yeah, I didn't even think of
0: those two Monkeys I think they'd be in my top I think I'd probably have to put them in my top A.M. AM and the first album Listen oh, to them You stage.
1: see Jane's Addiction They are a
0: band mm. I've never really been mega into them And
1: Stone Temple Pilots Soundgarden See all of this I, think, I, don't, know. I don't know You I can't, can't pick
0: five. You can't pick It's impossible Yeah Too many Too many And on that note We've been going for Over two hours a Long time <laughs> People are going to be bored. Yeah, people are going to be bored. Anything else you want to add? No. (laughs) We'll leave it there then. (laughs) That was such a fascinating episode. I'm sure you'll agree with me. It ran rather long. As you can see, we're about two hours, ten minutes right now. But I just didn't want to cut anything out of this episode. It was brilliant. Thank you so, so, so much, Tim, for putting up with me throughout this episode, as I said in the intro, and just for being patient with me and being humble. And Tim is such a great guy. This episode was just full of so many cool stories, particularly the one about Steven Tyler being actually quite a nice guy. And yeah, I'm just blown away by this episode. It's probably one of my favourite episodes that I've recorded of Interesting Conversations and I'm probably, definitely going to speak to Tim again. So all that remains for me to say is thank you again so much for putting up with this for two hours and thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about Interesting Conversations over at Twitter, so twitter.com forward slash interest podcast or go to interestpodcast.com and you can see when the new episodes are out and when new things are going to happen. Until then, I'll be back in another two weeks time, two weeks-ish, and I will see you then. See you soon.